Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. I want to, first of all, thank the praise team. Didn't they do a great job? This week has been one of those crazy weeks. They had a lot thrown at them at the last minute. They came in really not sure what we were doing today. I want to thank the uh, tech team back there because in the same way, the storms that we had, we had some computer issues. We couldn't get sermon slides put on. They have worked their tails off this morning, and they have got everything rearranged. We've got people that aren't in their normal positions. So it's amazing when um, people aren't here how it just creates all these things, but everyone pitched in, and they have done a great job. So I want to thank them personally for that. Just a quick announcement. I want to remind you that if you have a teenager in high school or middle school, they are doing a Cedar Point trip on Thursday of this week. Noah needs to know today if you are planning on going so that he can get the tickets ordered. Noah will be out in the back um, at the end of the service, so make sure you um, let him know if you can go to Cedar Point on Thursday. (coughs) Excuse me. You know, today, each of us deal with a gravitational pull. You think about the gravitational pull, it's both a figurative and a real gravitational pull. The real gravitational pull is what holds us down here as the earth spins and all of those kind of things. But the figurative gravitational pull that we struggle with is God's view versus the world's view. And we see it all over the place today, don't we? How the church is up against what the world is saying in one direction. And we have to wrestle with where we stand and the choices that we make in that gravitational pull. Some of the choices are easy. You know, what do we wear today? Where to go on vacation? What to eat for dinner? Okay, if you're like my house, that's not always the easiest question, is it? We sit there and we talk about that for far too long. But there are harder choices, too. Choosing to love instead of retaliate. Choosing to speak the truth in love instead of speaking the truth in anger and malice. Choosing to follow the path of God versus following the path of the world. We all attempt to train our kids, or we have attempted to train our kids every day to make the right choices. But in reality, let's be honest, sometimes you and I have a hard time making the right choices ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we come face to face with those hard choices and we struggle, which way are we going to decide? Which side of the line are we going to be on? This summer, as we have gone through this Fruit of the Spirit sermon series, we have talked about the gravitational pull to not have these fruit evident in our lives. But God desires 
that every one of these fruit be evident in all that we do and in all that we say. I want to challenge us again. I hope that you put these fruit of the Spirit to memory over the course of this summer. And I hope that soon we don't have to put the Scripture up as I ask you to read it along with me. Because I think these are important for us to have in our hearts. These need to be things that we can meditate on and we can be challenged with each and every day. But listen to what Paul says as we read these together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want to stop for just a minute. Because when we did that responsive reading this morning, boy, you guys were loud. I heard it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the people on the live stream could hear you. That one, not so much. So let's try it one more time. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruit they can be hard to make evident in our lives, can't they? Let's just be honest. Sometimes we don't like to be kind. Sometimes we don't like to be good. Sometimes retribution is much easier than looking at somebody and seeing them with the love of God and seeing them from God's perspective. But God still challenges us to make the right choice and to make them evident in all that we do. I want to jump back one more time this week and I want to look just a couple of verses back as Paul begins to set up the text of the fruit of the Spirit. He begins to unpack what the fruit of the Spirit means by helping us see it. Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 16 these words, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are to not do whatever you want. This idea of walking by the Spirit is used over 30 times by the Apostle Paul to describe what the Christian life is all about. Now, I'm not the most brilliant person in the world, but one thing I've learned, when somebody says something over and over and over again, you need to pause and listen. Because Paul was trying to get our attention that we are called to walk by the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, it shows action. It shows direction. It gives us a goal, and it's a guide and a companion guide along the way of life. God is challenging us to allow the Spirit of God to increasingly help us each and every day. I love how Paul points it out in Greek. He says there at the end of this that we are definitely not to not go by the Spirit. We are to seek the Spirit of God each and every day. 
The fruit of the Spirit is something that needs to be naturally produced in our life. And today we are looking at that production of faithfulness in our lives. Again, faithfulness is talked about all over the Scripture. In fact, just doing a cursory look about faithfulness the word faithfulness throughout the 66 books of the Bible is used over 400 times. Most of the time in the Old Testament, it's talked about God's faithfulness to his people. In the book of Psalm 100, verse 5, the psalmist writes, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Listen to this. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Aren't you thankful for that? that God is as faithful today as he was 2,000 years ago. That God loves you and is as faithful to you as he was when he sent Jesus into the world to save the people. There is no difference with God's faithfulness. It continues throughout the life. This week, we had some storms, didn't we? Last week, we had a few storms. Did you see the pictures of the storm that we had this week with the big rainbow over um, New Philly. You know, every time you see a rainbow, you can't help but to think about God's faithfulness and the promise that God made to Noah through that rainbow. When you pick up your Bible, you remember what God said in Matthew chapter 24 verse 35 that heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away God's word God's promises God's faithfulness stays the course throughout all of the ups and downs of life and throughout all of the hills and the valleys that we suffer when we take communion each and every week and we come around that table and we focus on the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we remember the words that Jesus left to the apostles as he ascended into heaven that, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And in the New Testament, when he talks about us gathering together in worship, he reminds us that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. When we come together, we come to worship a faithful God who is always there. And when we stand on the brink of death, we can be reminded the words that God promised through Jesus in John chapter 14 that in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so. I love the old King James version of this. In my father's house are many mansions. I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that there you may be where I am and you know the place to where I am going. God is a faithful God. From the beginning to the end, all throughout the courses of our life, God is there and he demonstrates his faithfulness to us. Thomas Christone sure had it right 
when he wrote the words of this wonderful old hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. What's the rest of it? Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Faithfulness from God to us is such an important piece for us to remember in a world where everybody is telling us that there are no truths and that there are no absolutes, where the world is telling us there is nothing that we can hang our hat and be sure of. I can tell you that is an outright lie. God is faithful. And that same God that created is the same God that lives in us and lives through us, and it's the same God that strengthens us. No matter what we face, God is there. God's faithfulness could be defined as a commitment regardless of the difficulty. That's what God does for us. But when we think of faithfulness, we also have to realize that we are called to be faithful. Not only has God been faithful to us, but God desires us to be faithful. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that we are to be faithful in stewardship, both financially and with our talents. In Ephesians, Paul says we are to be faithful through our service, that we are to use our gifts and our abilities for God's kingdom. Paul tells the young preacher Timothy that we are to be faithful in our marriages. In the book of Revelation, we're reminded that we're to be faithful in witnessing in the world around us for Christ. Paul, in his great theological book of Romans, says that we are to be faithful in prayer. And in Revelation, again, that we are to be faithful in following God. Proverbs tells us so many ideas of faithfulness. But in Proverbs 31, he's talking about that woman of nobility. But he says that they are faithful to instructions. Third John says that we are to be faithful in the truth. We could go on and on and on throughout the pages of the Scripture where God's faithfulness is revealed and where God's faithfulness and his call for us to be faithful should be evident. But I am convinced that as Paul was referring to this idea of faithfulness in the fruit of the Spirit, he wants us to realize that this faithfulness extends not just to God, but it extends to the world around us. I'm going to step on some toes again. Church can be a very mean place, can't it? Church people can sometimes be the most hurtful people around. We talk about love. We talk about encouraging one another. We talk about building one another up. And what do we do? We walk out the door and we start gossiping and talking about one another or talking about how this person has hurt us or did you hear what this person is going through? 
I think these nine fruit that are listed in the fruit of the Spirit talk about ethical qualities that I believe must be evident in all of our lives. Faithfulness talks about it in a theological mindset of faithfulness to God, but it also talks about that ethical mindset of being faithful to one another. We are called to be faithful to God, to be loyal to God, but we are also called to be someone who people can depend on. The church, remember last week we talked about the church is not these walls. The church is you and I. The church is called to be a place where people know when the church says something, they're going to follow through. They're going to be faithful. They're going to be dependable. They're going to be just. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 1, he says, Now faith is confident in what we hope for, and it's the assurance of what we don't see. What a great definition of faith. But I think it's also a great definition of what the church is called to do with one another and with the world around us. We are called to be that assurance, that hope, that help, that dependability when people don't expect it. So very quickly this morning, I want to give you four tips for being faithful both to God and to individuals in an age where faithfulness just seems to be thrown out and we seem to be living our own simple lives not attached to anything. Four things that I think we need to do today as the church to be the place that God has called us to be. The first is this. We need to free ourselves from a hurtful past. It is easy for us to look at all of the baggage that we carry. We can look at the hurts that we have and all of the baggage that around, is around us, and we can use those as an excuse for not doing what God has called us to. I thought back in 30 years of doing counseling, some of the baggage that I, have ever, that I have heard. I wish I had a dime for every one of these. We would have paid off the mortgage of Faith Christian Church if I did. I've heard it thousands of times. Well, Brian, you just don't understand. I was never taught that. Okay. But does that mean you can't be taught that now? Or maybe the baggage of, well, you don't understand the bad family I came from. No, I don't. But I understand we have a God that cannot help you through that. Or how many times I have heard these phrases, God could never love me. And I want to look at them and say that is the furthest thing from the truth. Because I don't think God judges anybody but I think if God did, he would look at the broken-hearted, the hurtful people, and he would find them first because he wants them to know how loved they truly are. Or how many times have we heard the excuse, 
You don't know what I have done. Let's be honest. Everyone who sits in this room and everyone who watches this sermon online, we all have a past. And that past can either shape us or it can destroy us. Far too many people today let their past destroy. When God says, let it shape and refine you, the choice is ours. How our past is going to define us. I love the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph had every reason to use excuses. He had a troubled past. You know, he was his father's favorite son. He was the one that his brothers looked down upon because his father truly did favor him, gave him exorbitant things. His brothers threw him into the pit, sold him into slavery. He had every reason to seek retribution against his family. But you remember what he did in the end, don't you? He chose to love and he chose to forgive. He chose to be faithful to a God that was always faithful to him. He chose not to look at all of the roller coaster things that he went through, and he chose to say, God was always there, and God led me to here, and he is going to use me. Joseph is a great example of being freed from past hurts to do amazing things. So I have a question for you today. What do you need to give up? What do you need to leave at the foot of the cross and say, God, I have spent far too many years letting this bag control me. And I need to give it to you. I need to get rid of those past hurts so that I can be more faithful to you and so that I can be more faithful to others. The second tip that I think we need to understand is we also need to overcome discouragement. Not only do we all carry baggage, but we have all been disappointed with discouragement. Life sometimes is filled with dis discouragements. Sometimes life doesn't turn out exactly like we planned it. Can I be honest with you? Life doesn't always end like the Hallmark movie ends, does it? We laugh, but we think that's the way it is. We think that we will always find everything exactly like we want. It doesn't always happen that way. Do you know what? People sometimes let us down. I realized sometimes I let people down. I'm a human, and sometimes I might let you down. Sometimes the people that we think that are closest to us are the people that will hurt us the most. In ministry, sometimes we find discouragement when we pour into people and people don't respond. We get discouraged when we build programs and we put lots of resources into a program and we quickly realize 
That program might have fallen through the cracks or might have been, been a bad program. And we get discouraged. Moses, he had a life of discouragement. You remember the story of Moses. He was born at a time when all of the babies were to be killed. The Israelite babies were to be killed. So his family put him in that basket. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was Pharaoh's grandson. The lap of luxury. You know, he was, he was a part of the Crown series on Netflix. You know, he was in the royal house. And then, well, he got in a little bit of trouble because he got in a fight and he killed somebody. He had to run out. He spent time out in the wilderness. God called him and said, Moses, you're going to go back to Israel or you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to bring your people out of Egypt. And Moses, do you remember what he did? He said, but, 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 but God, excuse after excuse after excuse. And you remember what God did. God or Moses, don't use those excuses. You don't talk well, I'll give you Aaron. You don't think Pharaoh's going to listen? Throw your staff down and watch the snake sliver. Pick it back up. God said, I chose to use you. A man full of discouragement. A man, man full of excuses. And God chose to use you to do something great. And you remember what Moses did. He focused on God. And God did great things. Now, there were still ups and downs in Moses' life. In all of the great things Moses did, leading the Israelites out of Egypt, you remember, it wasn't Moses that took them into the promised land. Moses got them to the brink. But when Moses died, he was not discouraged. He was not bitter. He didn't say, but God... The snow didn't start falling, and the kiss didn't happen right at the end of the Hallmark movie. <coughs> Instead, Moses said, here's Joshua. It's going to lead the people into Egypt. We get so bogged down by our baggage, and we get so bogged down by our discouragement that we become consumed and we can't do anything, God says, get rid of it. The third thing that we need to remember is we are called to trust God and to be reminded that he still leads. We have read it through the pages of Scripture time and time again how God used his people to do extraordinary things. There were people with all sorts of excuses that God used. There were people that did extraordinary things in horrible ways. And you know what God did? God still used them. God still leads today. And God wants to direct each and every one of you. I go back to what Paul said at the very beginning of the Scripture. He calls us to walk by the Spirit. 
God doesn't say, go and do this. Now you're on your own. Figure it out on your own. God said, I give you a spirit to direct you. That companion, that guide, the very presence of God to be with you. I quoted part of the passage earlier. You remember it. Jesus, as he is ascending into heaven, he gives that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Quite often the church puts the period there. But Jesus didn't. Because do you remember what the rest of that passage says? And I will be with you always to the end of the age. From the very beginning to the very end of our life, God is with us, guiding us and directing us. We need to trust God that he will lead us. Maybe you're wrestling today. Maybe you're wrestling with, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, where are you trying to lead me? God, what direction am I going to go? Let me tell you, you may think God's not listening, but God is there. If you keep the faith, he will direct. The fourth thing is we need to remember that we're called to stay the course. It's very easy to get discouraged I don't know how many times in our life, or really, to be honest, how many times in a given day we come to that fork in the road where we have to choose. Are we going to follow God? Are we going to follow the world? God calls his church to faithfulness. God calls his people to stay the course even when it's not easy. To stay the course, even when it's not fun. To stay the course, and he will direct, and he will guide. Church, the world is trying to pull us in so many directions today. The world is trying to destroy the influence of truth and the influence of God's love and devotion. We are called to stay the course, to stay strong, to preach the word, to be faithful in all that we do, and to be faithful to those around us. That might mean that we have to love people that we don't necessarily know how to love, but we're still called to love. That might mean that we're called to do things and to be places, and to be the word and the hands and the feet of God in a world today. But that's what God calls his church to do. We are called to serve a living God whose faithfulness, what? Endures forever. Who is always there and will always continue to be there. God has always demonstrated his faithfulness to us. And we, his people, are called to display that same faithfulness to him 
into the world around us. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that in this day and age when so many people are trying to pull us in so many directions, when that pull becomes heavier and heavier day in and day out, that we will stay the course, we will focus on you, and we will find your faithfulness significant for us, and we will share that faithfulness to the world around us. Father, I thank you that you have always been and that you will always be. And I pray that you will help us to continue to reach and to share the lost, the message of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.